Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gayatri. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode of the Software People Stories, we bring to you the story of a fellow PM Powerian, Ramakrishnan Seturaman, or Ramki, as he's known to all of us. Ramki has over 30 years of experience in IT, with large corporates, and as an entrepreneur. He started out with applying C on mainframes, and is a firm believer in building strong foundations for systems. Ramki shares why he's enjoyed learning about and working with financial companies who he feels have been at the forefront of adopting technology to drive business. He's moved across various roles in his career and shares valuable lessons for entrepreneurs and then some career lessons as well. Listen on. Good afternoon, Ramki. It's wonderful to have you as a guest on the Software People Stories. I've certainly been looking forward to our conversation. A very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Chitra, and good afternoon to you as well. I look forward to this session, actually. How would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience, Ramki? Okay, yeah, I think like uh, a lot of our, our colleagues who have been in, uh, in, you know, in the IT world for a few decades, I've also been in the IT world for uh, three decades now, and it's, it's been a very exciting journey, and uh, you know, it's kind of uh, been very fortunate to play a pretty much... Uh, you know, every role you can kind of think of, including, you know, kind of starting my own business. So, so I, I would say it's been a very exciting journey so far. And, you know, I, I've, I've, my heart has always been in consulting, meeting with clients, coming up with new ideas, new solutions, creating stuff. So I think, you know, that, that's where I, I love what PM Power is doing. And, you know, I really look forward to an exciting journey now with, with PM Power. Thank you. Where did this yeah. journey begin? How did you get interested in IT or software? How did you start down this road? I actually did my, uh, when I did my bachelor's and that, that was uh, way back in 84 to 88, I majored in electronics and communications engineering. So at that time, anything closer to com computers was uh, the hardware. So software well, of course, was there, you know, we just had some Unix computers, you know, uh, logged up in some uh, lab, which was very exclusive. Of course, the, the big mainframes were still there. And again, very exclusive access. So my BE was all about electronics, various kinds of electronic and communication technology was what we were focusing on. So the nearest thing to computers was actually uh, studying about uh, microprocessors, which was extremely interesting for me. Uh, but I, I still uh, wasn't thinking about getting into the whole IT industry. But just as you know, I was completing BE, uh, IT was, I think, just starting to uh, be the hot topic. So I was able to get uh, into a master's at College of Engineering in the uh, computer science. Uh, I really loved that course. And then out of campus, TCS picked me up and uh, that's where the IT journey started. So like everyone at that time, I, I started out as a as a programmer and TC is of course known for, for uh, mainframe work. A lot of people actually start with COBOL on mainframe, but I started with C on mainframe. Uh, you know, it was a, again, TCs used to do a lot of uh, maintenance projects, but uh, and they were also a pioneer in doing, you know, from the scratch, 
design build projects and that too for in an onset offshore model so they have been a pioneer and uh, i was fortunate enough to kind of start off in a, a development project like that it was for a, a client in sweden and so those times uh, completely different from today uh, nobody had email uh, there used to be one computer in an office where uh, people used to go and uh, download emails and that too you know the restricted to the project managers so uh we used to have our own way of communicating we used to have so these data sets on mainframe so we used to use a you know a kind of a, a project data set and a private data set float stuff there and uh, communicate with people who are in sweden uh, or even dispersed teams in india i think it's been interesting times that that's how it kind of started with the uh, technology world chitra interesting ramki in fact i have yeah. two questions coming in my mind so you talked okay. about design build projects Yeah. yeah and and mm-hmm. today even though the concept of design thinking has been around for a while one still finds that the typical mindset of an engineer is get into the how of a problem so my first mm-hmm. question to you is when you said design build projects what yeah. were the some of the approaches that you used why would some of them be relevant or not today okay no i think that that sets me thinking already so let me take that one first so i think uh, See, like everyone, uh, you know, I think when we are at a, a particular stage in our career, uh, we think a certain way, and then as we go, our thinking completely changes, right? So that that's the same way it was with me when I and when I first did when I did my first design build project, I kind of fell in love with the the hardcore technology, right? So as you rightly said, we don't really look at the the what and the why aspects. We don't even know really about. the client what they are trying to do much typically we are assigned a work and then we have to do a good job of that so uh, is assigned a certain number of programs so the thing i did really well at that time i think was so whether it was c programming or the uh, the database side of it i i tried to make sure that you know i kind of apply myself completely there i kind of completely fell in love with uh, writing very complex programs And, and i used to be the kind of uh, even in that project i those times i used to be that called as the database gurus db2 was the mainframe uh, database at that time and i got into real intricate performance tuning aspects of it of course i had a very good boss and was kind of uh, very willing to uh, coach me there um, i was fortunate on that my love at that time was just focus on doing a great job at what i was doing uh, that was very very hardcore software technology oriented i loved love doing that but subsequently as i kind of you know moved on to projects various types of roles so increasingly what i realized was you got to understand the client's business the domain aspect came in uh, very strongly and that that's where my first love of the financial services world also came in actually you know i did a lot of projects for financial services clients and i really got into understanding the client business at that time so whenever i meet with uh, anger folks town halls and uh, informal chats etc i always tell developers also that you first uh, do your job what you are given exceedingly well but you also try and understand the context what are you building i you know i've, I've kind of heard a lot of very good interesting stories where you know so some developers actually completely wowed visiting clients right so uh, one particular story uh, a us client came down uh, i think it was from the retail industry and uh, one of my teams uh, project members said something about you know this particular program does this as so and so but uh, this kind of tells me that you're not looking at this particular aspect of your business why is that the the client was completely bold with that question 
he didn't realize you know a programmer coming up with that kind of a question you know so so i, I used to always tell this example to the other guys uh, look this is what you should be doing do your job well but and try and understand the client's business that's again uh, you know adds dimensions to everyone's uh, knowledge and it did definitely for me and and playing various roles right so moving from technology to pro- project management program management then moving to architecture doing consulting and going up to sales right so as i said i was fortunate to kind of go through the whole gamut i think each stage kind of is gives you a lot of learning i i really was you know kind of fortunate to be able to learn a lot and tell others that's a very interesting way of looking at your experience so my second mm-hmm. question to you was you said you also got pretty deep into db2 programming and into performance tuning typically performance tuning and performance engineering is a yeah. experimental methodical process where you you know define mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. characteristics you hope to achieve you run the experiment you see how the system yeah. is responding and also try to identify parameters mm-hmm. that could influence performance it's a cycle by itself it's not something right. that can necessarily happen overnight but you have to right. be thinking of it and building it into mm-hmm. your system i find that the focus on this discipline somewhat diluted and diminishing and today seems to be the domain only of large companies who in some sense can afford to do a performance tuning or an assessment and looking at the amount of data that's coming into the world today what are your thoughts on okay managing data and building a system for performance how can the two yeah. come together Sure. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting one. You're absolutely right. I think people uh, kind of tend to, you know, skip certain critical steps, and you know, with with uh, increasingly, uh, you know, we're, look, we're looking at a world which is crunching timelines, and uh, so nothing against agile. I think agile is great, getting more to market faster, so that you're able to test things in the market. I think those are great things, but it should not be at the cost of ignoring a solid foundation. for this so if you're building a large application uh, which is mission critical and uh, you know especially client facing ones you got to make sure that you know it's on a strong foundation so because if foundation is not good uh, you can't later on change it without very expensive uh, you know rewrite and, and so on right so even today we see i think even in india you know a large bank one of the largest in india i think uh, had lot of problems with their website internet banking stuff right last year Uh, not once but a few times and uh, i think once it even lasted like couple of days if i remember right so i i think you're right a lot of people actually ignore or give very less importance to uh, the architecture and when i say architecture it includes a data aspect also and as you rightly said uh, the complexity is only increasing the year is a huge everybody i think is after the next shiny thing right artificial intelligence machine learning and all that big data everybody i think is wanting to do stuff but have they done certain things right that they got the foundation right then they have the ability to do all that take advantage of all the new technologies you know so everybody talks about customer experience and customer analytics and stuff like that right so continuously learning systems but do they have a, a resilient uh, platforms uh, application portfolio in the first place because i think today you know especially today's context of covid and all that businesses Uh, resiliency is in question so it's a lot of businesses uh, are really struggling i think the ones which are in a good place will be those businesses which are not only 
resilient in the sense that uh, you know they have a strong business model they have a strong financial model they don't have a client concentration in a few clients or a few geographies they're well diversified but also from a technology perspective they have a strong foundation they have a resilient system right so do, uh, will they be able to so suddenly everybody you know uh, is moving from offline to online mode across industries so uh, do you have systems which are capable of doing it or, or are you going to just wake up today and start looking at the architecture and the data aspects right so i think that's extremely important i think while most of the uh, companies irrespective of the size i would say uh, do have an architect it is being done as something which is kind of a necessary evil rather than something where they should be giving a lot more attention to it also it is not just the architect's job uh, right i think uh, it's it's the the developers need to understand the, what are the architecture principles what are the drivers behind it they got adhered to the best practices so which is why uh, the well run uh, companies the well run companies which have a well oiled it engine running they have you know in a very decentralized way uh, adopted best practices they have a way of governing these things right so it, whenever any new initiative is started they have things uh, kind of you know from a reuse perspective right so you don't want to have people to kind of start uh, on a clean slate and so again people are all uh, nobody has time so you you got to have a strong strong foundation which is easily accessible for people usable so i think you know this go goes to how you have designed your applications how many common services are there how many are reusable i think this whole api economy we have today uh microservices and all that uh, you know so these are new terms i think these best as best practices they have been ar- around for many years right so people used to call it a service oriented architecture before or a component based architecture and you know today we call it microservices so uh, i think the principles are the same but people just don't follow it i think that's where people need to be conscious about uh, uh, these best practices and imbue it as part of their day to day work right it's, it should not be done as a standalone exercise coming to performance testing again uh, you know if you have a solid architecture much of your uh, performance testing in terms of uh, validating that architecture should have happened up front so shift left as you say even in the testing context right so testing a functionality uh, you got to have shift left so that uh, you know how well the application meets uh, business functionality should be checked well up front in the uh, software development life cycle same thing applies to performance so once you have an architecture in place and uh, a bare minimum uh, minimum viable product in place uh, that's actually the time to validate the architecture uh, kind of simulate the data and so on so there is a best practices which actually says that you know your development environment staging and production should not be uh, varying too much in the sense that uh, you don't want to uh, defer the decisions or the impact of uh, a bad architecture to later so i think today we are in a very good position so cloud technologies are available you just buy what you need when you need i think it's very easy to create a development environment uh, that simulates that's that similar to a production environment i think some of these critical activities need to be done up front thanks ramki that was a very systemic response to a very systemic problem i want to go back a little bit you know to your previous yeah. uh, part of the conversation yeah. that we were having and you said yeah. that the financial services industry is something that has really interested you so mm-hmm. the first question was more of a curiosity question that came to my mind when you talk about a design mindset to me it somewhat seems counterintuitive in a financial industry where 
processes and the way things are done are pretty set. Mm. And I may be wrong here, but curious, you know, how does the whole aspect of designing a service play out Mm. in the financial services industry? And what is it about this industry that's fascinated you? I think financial services have been in the forefront of using technology for a long time. And in fact, I think our if I'm not wrong, pioneers, you know, so whether it is experimenting with new technology, new methodologies, new tools, or even offshoring for that matter, right? So totally different, completely drastic uh, execution models, right? So I think financial services have been in the forefront and and maybe, uh, you know, the fact that I've kind of worked with them early on is part of my love for that industry because, uh, you know, even in, in my, uh, the, the last large company I worked with, we used to, across industries, so I used to head the financial services industry and uh, across industries, we used to, financial services used to get the maximum number of client visits. You do track how many clients are visiting, what is the agenda, what is the outcome, how many opportunities came out of it and so on. Right? So what we see is uh, with financial services clients, they typically are in the forefront, right? So whether it is trying out a new technology or when it comes to processes. So uh, I, I personally have not seen uh, them being uh, inflexible, right? So banks, of course, uh, you know, are very large, right? So when I say financial services, I, I include banking, uh, the capital market firms, the, the broker dealers, etc., right? And the insurance firms. So within that set, uh, I've seen the capital markets guys used to be much more risk-taking. Of course, their business is risky. They, they also take a lot of risk. So any new technology gives them an edge in the marketplace. And then next comes banking. Even though most of the banks I work with are very large ones, when it comes to technology, again, they want to use everything that's out there to you know, kind of, because there's a lot of cutthroat competition, right? They take any geography, US or UK or you know, Europe, India. The comp- I think it's a very competitive marketplace financial services. So they got to be on top of technology, keep experimenting. And again, processes, you know, when it comes to IT processes. Insurance, you know, I would say has been a third one. Typically insurance, even if you look at the, you know, the legacy world, I think large insurance firms still have a lot of legacy though. They have been a bit slower compared to the other two in terms of moving to new new technology. But I think that that's changing now a lot. Even in the context of India, I think insurance firms, I've gone to the regulator uh, with a lot of new ideas, right? So everybody is seriously looking at uh, uh, how to use AIML and things like that. I, I just feel that, you know, they they, they are just in, uh, completely uh, immersed themselves in technology. Uh, I think probably you can say financial services uh, has been unique in my experience uh, where technology has been central to business, you know. Uh, so if you take a manufacturing that's technology doesn't come to your mind first, right? Again, retail in the same way. Typically, if you take a large retail firm, the the, the biggest IT systems you will see will be the uh, ERP and CRM, right? So traditionally, they they don't uh, haven't been kind of going beyond that. So this is basically taking care of your core processes, right? But that's changing, of course, across industries. I think digital is changing everything. But with financial services, I've just seen that they. You're just completely immersed in technology. And, and technology takes a, a front seat, right? So I think CIOs in the financial services world typically find a, a seat in the, uh, with the, in the board. Uh, of course, I, I have not seen too many CIOs going on to run companies, except it's, of course, if it's a technology company by itself. Uh, but uh, I, I think, you know, technologies, 
has been playing a very central central role in financial services now processes wise uh, they they have been improving right um, I, i think even if you look at the bpm tools financial services companies uh, were among the first to start using bpm tools to look at process automation right in a big mm-hmm. way so and even bpo deals so whether it is mortgage outsourcing or whatever uh, they, all of them wanted to not just outsource the same mess but they wanted to look at uh, how can i use technology to automate certain areas right of course uh, I, i think the experience could vary the larger well well run ones uh, have been using technology from a services you know uh, process and services perspective in a flexible way it it probably also goes with how fast a company has been able to move away from a technology debt you know legacy large banks still are using in fact some uh, banks i know uh, pro- even broker dealers when the wall street I, i think they still probably are on old mid range unix systems uh, written in some very arcane uh, languages so you're you're right so those areas they they do struggle with uh, changing it for the you know new world right but that's where i think we have the opportunity to kind of uh, help them with the digital transformation so i think it's a mixed bag it's not bad because uh, i think they have had to change with the times because given fintech you know kind of is a is a big threat and and banks are in an advantageous position in the sense that you know they have the customer data they still are the regulated entity whereas uh, usually the fintechs are not unless they have a, a banking license so so they have necessarily have had to become flexible in the right they they need to be in a position to kind of you know api is their whole uh, functionality at least be in a position to participate in the digital ecosystem right so i think they are getting there it, it's a struggle but it's also our opportunity nice ramki lots and lots of points and topic that are coming to my mind yeah. for future conversations yeah. but maybe in the context of digital transformation or who knows yeah. maybe even a special on the financial sector itself okay sure i would love to yeah so my next question is you've moved through so many roles in your career what were each one of those transitions like and what were some of your takeaways from each of those transitions why did you take on so many different kinds of roles yeah interesting question chitra so i think some of it uh, uh, given to me uh, as as uh, something which uh, i could take up some of it i really jumped at it some some of them i asked and took took some roles some were thrust on me so so i think it's a mixed bag like you know you you can't have everything your way right but but i am really counting my blessings so you know uh, been fortunate to get to do all these roles and, and i really uh, when i meet uh, younger guys i uh, i tell them that don't be shy of experimenting to different roles right so i think there is always this tug of war between uh, do you specialize or generalize i think uh, the uh, earlier in your career you want to specialize as you go along you want to generalize but i think today's world has changed quite a bit so people who are generalists are seen to be having less value if you are a specialist and you know you happen to have the right kind of skills and knowledge i think you are in the right place so i i think these things will keep changing but for somebody to kind of keep both right so having uh, you know being passionate in a particular area and keep developing your skills and knowledge i think is extremely essential today you got to be a specialist in a few areas and at the same time you got to have a, a general view of things so so i think it's always good to play a client relationship and a sales role because typically you don't want to be on one side always you you got to be thinking from the other side uh, then you you do a much better job on what you do on the other side right 
you know, while being on the uh, corporate IT world side, one of the things that people used to tell me is, Ramki, I think, you know, you, you've done various things, but uh, I, I think, you know, you're, you always seem to be very conservative in, in your way of thinking. You don't take risks, right? So, so even though it was late in my career, I, I kind of decided that I will take some risks. Let me see how it goes. Uh, so I put up my own money and uh, along with another uh, colleague of mine uh, who kind of had a similar thoughts. So we kind of brainstormed and started, started up on our own. So that was a big risk actually I took, but I think everything teaches us a lot of things, right? Uh, nothing like running a startup, kind of do uh, pretty much every role, you know, even though you call yourself as a founder, but you pretty much, you know, you got to build a platform, you got to do code reviews, you got to work with the developers, you got to, you know, prepare the marketing material, you got to go to go and meet the clients, the prospects, keep building a sales funnel, do everything manually, right? So as they say, when you're, you're, you, you are not there yet, you, you're doing things in a completely non-scalable way, right? So everything you're doing by yourself and a lot of things are done from, from the scratch. So I, I did that and uh, you know, I don't regret any of it. I think everything teaches you a lot. Uh, and again, meeting clients is something, as I said, uh, I, I you know, kind of enjoy. There's a lot of struggle as you kind of you know, build a business, bring it up. I think it's every time I go on, try and uh, sell a, an idea uh, at my platform to a, a prospective client, it, it energizes me because I think, you know, meeting people and uh, kind of helping them realize that they have a undiscovered need. Here is a new solution and they agree with you that there is value, right? I think that that's, that's gives you some joy and uh, fulfillment. So, so I think each stage of my career, I've kind of been fortunate to be on a continuous learning mode. Of course, you know, I, I, I take a lot of opportunities to meet people and uh, tell them, you know, share my experience so, so that they benefit from it. I, I think that's something which is, again, essential, right? So, and, and a lot of times uh, as, as I do that, concepts get reinforced in my mind and you know, the questions keep coming up. As I tell people something, I, I realize, is this the way I should have done or, you know, should I, should I have looked at something else, right? So I think these are, these are things which... Uh, keep our mind uh, growing. I, I think that that's very critical. You covered a lot of aspects there and certainly I have a lot of takeaways for sure. And in fact, it segues very nicely into the next question I have. You yeah. mentioned throughout this conversation several times about the importance of interacting with clients and the fact that I sense you've probably picked up a lot of the opportunities that came your way to actually put yourself out there and talk to them. Yeah. And you also said that it energizes you, it motivates you. Yeah. What are some of your biggest takeaways from having interacted with clients? Why are they so important? There's a lot involved in preparing before we go and meet a client. So extremely important. So I do a lot of research in terms of what, who is the client I'm meeting, what is their background, what particular needs do they have. So I think the, the meeting itself I, I, I consider it successful in my mind uh, if you know, I'm able to at least give some value to the client. So the client is obviously taking his time away from something else to meet with me. Uh, I got to make sure that uh, one, the client has uh, key takeaways from the meeting. So they have learned something which they don't know. And secondly, I, I try to establish the uh, emotional connect with them. So I think it's, a, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, it's a human to human interaction. So we got to know about them 
so it, it's uh, so typically that's why when i whenever i get an opportunity uh, i try not to get into the you know sales mode in the first meeting so it's it's, it's all about getting to know uh, both the sides a lot of times you may not get that opportunity so they are there for a, a given time and you got to be very subtle about these things but i think at the end of the day you got to make sure that you you're well prepared for the meeting i think that's important secondly you got to know uh, what are their uh, wants and needs right so i think it's that's extremely easy to say but a lot of times clients actually come with something in their mind uh, and if you are you don't touch on that it, that can be extremely irritating for them so uh, you got to make sure that you tick some of those boxes i think that's extremely critical right so you got to know what is the client looking for you got to get those boxes ticked uh, on top of it if you're able to kind of make the client think on certain things which they, you know they really haven't thought about that's where actually they remember you actually right so the next time they meet you they they remember that so who knows you know some of these might actually give not only new opportunities but clients also do, today work work with multiple vendors so you know invariably we see clients uh, comparing right uh, they they go and go and meet two or three vendors uh, they typically do uh, and i shouldn't say typically they always rank the vendors at the end of the their meetings and the ones that stand out have gone beyond what they were looking for right so they've kind of been pleasantly surprised they get full value from uh, the time that they spent with you in larger companies i worked with you know we had a team which was focusing uh, pretty much on this right so i think there used to be something called a client briefing center where we had people uh, who kind of do this coordination ahead of time they collect some intelligence then there is a team uh, which is responsible for kind of taking care of drafting the agenda running with it you got to be very clear about what do you want to accomplish right and of course this one hour meetings are so difficult and you know, some meetings can be a day those throw a different kind of challenge you got to make sure that uh, you know the client is not bored but uh, completely engaged for the whole day with you this is actually uh, you know also goes to in some ways uh, you know design thinking actually because it's all about empathy so look at it from the client's perspective what value they are looking at from that time that they're spending with us make sure that they get that and we go beyond right so so there is a lot of coordination involved a lot of thinking you got to make sure that you are bringing the right expert is in front of the clients and so all this was a little bit easier with the larger firms but uh, when i was running my own firm I, i got to do everything myself so it kind of was tough but it was interesting all the same so it, none, not every time it goes well so we always have those misses some client visits just don't go well some clients actually are prejudiced so they they have seen something they want to go with a vendor they made up their mind they come to you after the, you know seeing somebody else irrespective of how well you do uh, you know maybe it doesn't crack the ice with them so i think at the end of the day you know the majority of it so maybe 80 20 rule uh, right so have you got most of it right that that's how you go grow your business right yeah absolutely lots of nuggets of information over there with respect to how to deal with clients or even approach them in fact throughout the last 10 minutes of this conversation you've you know moved in and out of with with several comparisons with respect to your yeah. corporate life as well as your entrepreneurial experience that brings up my next question to you as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur what are yeah. some of your learnings that you can share along this transition from let's say 
corporate life where a lot of things you you have a support structure behind you but as an entrepreneur right. then you're doing everything by yourself how did you make that transition and what are some of the learnings that you can share with our listeners and i think there are there are a lot of uh, learnings uh, by no means i would call my uh, entrepreneurial stint a success uh, you know we kind of were bootstrapped we ran out of money before we got the client traction uh, we we still are alive we are uh, in a kind of a, a pivotal stage where you know we are yet to decide which way to go but essentially uh, when we started out we debated a lot on i think funding is one key question so if this is in no particular order i'm just saying what comes to my mind first in terms of learning i think there is one of the decisions is do you do you put in your own money or you go for external funding uh, i think there are pros and cons with both uh, you know we went with you know bootstrapping we could have gone with uh, external funding so that that's something which i think uh, i think there are no right answers there uh, if you go with uh, external funding the advantages are that you know you you have somebody who is not only footing the bill but who is can open doors for you potentially you know obviously not everybody can do that uh, today a lot of people are angel investors even do the, they they do provide contacts but uh, uh, i think as you uh, you know deal with more uh, sophisticated investors they they can open a lot of uh, doors for you i think that's that's a very probably the biggest uh, advantage so i think in terms of uh, uh, testing the market everybody talks about you know minimum uh, viable product uh, i think that that's clearly a best practices so in our own case we did uh, you know do our initial research before jumping into actually even putting together a team we did a lot of research we uh, came up with the idea we talked to a few uh, well wishers uh, clients we <clears throat> prepared a wireframe so meaning just just the ui right so i think ui conveys a lot in terms of uh, what what you're trying to tell the client in terms of what value they can get out of this platform so we did a wireframe two months and because there was a lot of functionality actually we had in our mind and uh, we showed it to some of our initial uh, prospective clients and then we went on to build so uh, I, i think we we went about it the right way just that uh, uh, one of the things we we think we could have done differently is uh, the, the platform we had in mind uh, one of the the differentiators competitive differentiators we had in our mind was the richness of functionality a lot of functionality we kind of brought it together they were interconnected uh, and we felt that you know getting a, a, a product to the marketplace with all that functionality or at least most of it was critical as a competitive differentiator but what that also did was it prolonged the uh, the development time frame so that that's a downside of it so if we could go back in time and change something that, that strategy is probably something you know which which i would relook at thirdly uh, i think who you are partnering with is also critical so i did have uh, initially we actually i started out with a, with two people and then you know one stuck on with me the other one uh, dropped off because he was doing something else as well and his heart and mind were, were not in this so i know that this is a cliched advice people give but i i think it's it's critical who you are kind of going with initially it's definitely a better idea not to go just by yourself it's it's a, and of course we went to the private limited company which anyway needs uh, at least two directors we went with three initially but then uh, came down to two i think it's it's important who you are going with it's uh, i think initially shared ideas or important but it's also the shared commitment is very critical it need not be money I, i think money is a good commitment 
level uh, you know kind of very demonstrable very concrete uh, but sweat equity is also okay but i think that initial commitment uh, you know uh, should be there i think that that's very uh, critical i think these are ones which come to my mind readily i, th- I think i want to also go back to the funding first but uh, on, uh, on one more dimension in terms of the market that you are kind of looking at so we were actually looking at only india market and that to looking at you know one or two cities was our initial focus we didn't want to spend a lot of money on travel and you know sales people and things like that so i think that's where uh, again external funding could have been a good, better choice because while of course any startup typically you know the founders play the sales role i think it depends on what you are building and who you are selling it to uh, the the market that you choose is extremely uh, you know critical thing certain markets you you have you need to have money to invest in the on the sales side right so because the the more markets you explore uh, i think the better chances of success you have so especially you know when you're trying to create a niche the value in terms of what uh, uh, customers see uh, if it's a it's a completely new area then you should be you should expect certain resistance and inertia uh and it it very much depends on what industry you're talking about what market you're talking about uh you need time on your hand which means you you got to have money on your hand right so so i think those are all the things i would say are uh, big learnings chatra thanks ramki you know certainly looking at a lot of what you've spoken in this conversation in terms of future podcasts in terms of future okay. sharing in fact maybe a client playbook of some sort tips and tricks yeah. for entrepreneurs to ride the stormy waves what would you like to leave in terms of a few messages as we wind on this conversation okay so yeah i think uh, you you got to be uh, serious and passionate about a few things uh, what you do uh, I, i think that that's important right i i think today's generation Uh, does it well uh, i don't think you know we we got to tell tell that to people but I, i think at the same time developing a broader perspective and sense for things uh, i think that's that's important i think that's that's one thing which again in now looking back at my career one of the things i was uh, i've been very grateful about is while some of the roles have given me the opportunity to do big thinking a lot of other roles are even you know in the same role i've had to get down to nitty gritties right so i think this is a bridging the total 30000 feet to down to the ground level so that's something i think that's a, that's a very useful skill to have and uh, i would i would actually you know kind of urge people to develop that which is again going back to taking jumping on opportunities to kind of play a different role so it, it kind of really opens up your mind i think you got to have that big thinking at the same time you should be you know on the ground doing things rather than just doing uh, thinking right so you got to be actually doing stuff i think people will be very successful if they are able to balance and do both and kind of uh, you know bridge uh, bridge these two thank you ramki it's been a wonderful yeah. conversation with you thanks chitra i think the questions were very interesting and uh, kind of uh, made me think as well thank you We thank Siddharth for the music and Malavika for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, 
contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.